35 years beating me up until I finally became what he wanted me to be. Yeah. Yeah, and there, uh, so Oz Guinness has a book called The Call, and he he kind of talks about about this that like where did the whole um, people are called to sacred work but not called to secular work um, that kind of, kind of comes out of Catholic um, kind of tradition, and he kind of goes through the history of that. But he talks about that God is not only calling us ultimately the primary call is to salvation, right? He's calling us to salvation, but then. Um, also, he calls us to be about his work and to expanding his kingdom. And that comes not only just going to Honduras and being a missionary, but also in the sense of being in the business world, being an entrepreneurial, being a lawyer, um, and other different professions that you can um, bring into your distinct Christian life and you can impact the kingdom through your vocation. Um, and so we had a nice discussion on that, and sort of some disagreements on that. So it was really quite helpful, and I think it was something that I think it was a, a fresh discussion on what is call, what is the call of when it comes to vocation. Are we only those people called to sacred work, or people called to secular work? If you look at places in the Bible where it actually uses the word call, we what, what passage did we use? We use First Corinthians seven. Um. Yeah, it's okay. I, like, I know if you hadn't memorized it. Okay, it's, oh yeah, it was 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Um, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. So we were kind of taking that assigned and, and to which God has called him. And this is my rule in all the churches. Um, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? So, yeah, using verse 17, though, uh, that where God has placed you, where God has assigned you, God has called you to that place. Um, so that was kind of, that was the I think that language would also be consistent with the notion that the decision to trust in him as Savior includes submitting to him as Lord. Sure, and yeah. so when we, if we're going to talk about being called to him, we're in the same sentence, it sounds like he's, talking about the call to salvation yeah. as well as a call to what's going to go on in your life after that time. Yeah. It's all one call. It's come follow him as his disciples submitting to him as Lord. Right. And that includes the whole path that he plays. Yeah. 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 Which includes places that he places you to work and, and spend your time and the our, people our that he signs. Especially in our culture in America. So much define uh, such how we use the majority of our time and uh, even our identity, that which it's no trivial thing to say that God has a real plan about what type of work He calls you into. It, yeah. it will, your life will shape it, and it will shape your life. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and so I wanted to talk about. Um, so I'm really. I'm, this is not coming from my mind. It's coming from Mr. Tim Keller's mind, um, which is a good place. Um, I was. I always say I don't. I don't think I've read a book that or anything that Tim Keller's written that I didn't like um, or thought was just really well done. And um, if you're, if you really want, like this would be a good book to read actually uh, for your preparations for Andorras. Um, it's a different ministry, but his book, the the Center Church, is Center really, Church, right? Yeah, Center Church, that's right. Is really good. It will take a time to read. It's pretty long it's pretty, yeah, and pretty in depth. Yeah, but it's a great book. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's 
Tim Keller's his whole philosophy on ministry um, is just really good. Um, it it, it, it kind of reads almost like a textbook in the way that it's kind of structured. It's just really in-depth. And um, anyways, um, and the, the sermon that he preached at the Gospel Coalition Conference is still one of the highlights. I mean, it was really good. Um, so I wanted to, so I wanted to talk about worldview. He talks about that, um, in his chapter, like the new story for work. And, um, he, we've kind of skipped over some of the, um, he kind of talks about some of the, the negative things that work brings out because of, we live in a fallen world, the problems are problems with work. And I've kind of moved past that. And, um, just to kind of talk about how the gospel impacts work. And um, so he, yeah, this section is the gospel and work. Uh, so his kind of first chapter in this section is a new story for work. And he he starts off in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It's a pretty simple verse. We've, we've heard it a lot. Um, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think it's a passage we probably hear a lot in church, you know, like do all the glory. I remember uh, at the Wilds, the camp, the Bob Jones University, we would read this first before we eat. And it was like, you did it. Have you been there before? It was called a Bill Rice Ranch Camp, but. Ah, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll be, you know, Bob Jones has its, has its, you know, legalism, I understand, but the Wilds is an awesome camp. <laughs> And they make girls wear long skirts, and you have, yeah, same thing. And those can be like, you know, those two, if you're like a middle school or high schooler, you can be like, this is crazy. But like, the camp is fantastic. And uh, I would send my kids there in a heartbeat. Um, so, um, talking about work and to the glory of God. Um, so, he, he really talks about worldviews. Um, and so, I don't know. If you go to Southern, you talk a lot about worldviews, and and so um, when you think of the term worldview, like what is your definition? How, how have you come to understand that that term and what that is? Usually, when I when I I, I use that on a constant, pretty regularity of my in my work of talking about instead of like religion, I usually use worldview of saying like what you believe about the world, how you thought think about what what you should do and shouldn't do. Uh, morals, rights, and which is rights and wrongs, and so just like a, a compass of how you view what's in front of you in reality. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think of it more in terms of how you view it as opposed to what you view. So mm. we all come at the world with certain presuppositions, right. and we will analyze what we see, at least at an unconscious level. We sort of analyze it. You take different categories and things. And our worldview determines what those presuppositions are and what kind of categories we're putting things into. Yeah, he and he would even um, say that you know, worldview. We can even say like people's kind of narrative story, how they interpret the world, how they see the world, is very much a story um, kind of perspective on life. And he kind of uses these kind of three questions: how life should be defines what your worldview is, how it how it's how it got thrown off balance, and then what are proposed solutions mm. to the way that I think and Chuck Colson used something very did similar he really? to that in his in his book. Um, how shall we live? Yes. Yeah. Um, so 
thinking about and just he presents a few examples like Marx, Karl Marx, um, Karl Marx or Marxism's view of the world and how they answered those three questions. Um, how, how, I mean, we know of communism, we know of kind of Karl Marx, maybe kind of philosophy and what he's written, but how does Marxism def- like answer those three questions? So if you are, you know, yeah, how does Karl Marx and communist viewpoints and maybe even like progressive economic systems, and how do they usually answer those three questions? don't know exactly oh, how Marx would answer that, but I'm, I'm going to just guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. That, that, he, that he believes that everybody should have the same thing economically. Yep, yep. And so what, wrong, what went wrong that created this? I mean, um, uh, Bernie Sanders, similar. I mean, he's not, he's not Karl Marx, but similar mindset of the world should be, there should be equality when it comes to income. Obviously, there's a problem. Because there's a huge discrepancy, and there's people who have a lot. There's people who have a lot of the money, and, very, and a lot of people who don't have any money, and so that's a big problem. You know, capitalism and the corruption of capitalism creates this unbalanced world. And then, what are some proposed solutions for to uh, take away what some have, yeah. and give it to others? <laughs> Because yeah. like, Bernie was kind of arguing for a lot of these things. That's why he kind of got labeled as a communist. And, yeah, it's yeah. been a shift in our country within the last uh, decade or so to go from just saying that those who have more should pay higher taxes and all right. to openly admitting an agenda of, of just taking money away from the rich so that you can give their money to those who have less. Right. And I think that's a that's a more blatant way of, of phrasing it than simply saying they should do more than than others at helping out yeah. those who need it. Right. And there's a there's a um, there's a lot out. And as you say, there's like a change in in kind of the culture. There's a lot of let's see millennials and youngers who look at the world that way. They that's the story of the world. The antagonists, you know, the the the, the villains are the establishment. It's the business leaders. It's those who have you know, wealth or those who I read an article in the Atlantic that's really long about the new aristocrats are the these uh, you know those who who grew up in an affluent families who got to go to affluent universities and who got to marry people of affluency and so have been able to create this aristocratic lifestyle and their children get born into it and those who aren't born into it they're into in the low income families or actually even single parent families. The chances of you actually becoming influent and becoming wealthy are so are so difficult. So they see like these protagonists and, and antagonists, and that's how they interpret the world. And and they say, what are the proposed solutions? You know, and that's why you get a lot of these proposals of like income. You have like um, death tax or you know inheritance tax or um, free education, college education for the poor, um, health care, and all these other like measures are ways to level the playing field per se um but and so there's all these different and he mentioned some other he but i'm not a huge expert i don't know much about freud i'm not i've not read a lot of psychology, psychology yeah i don't know if y'all are no more experts on it or no i i don't really understand as much about kind of where freud enters the picture but he kind of talks about that but he wants to present these 
these worldviews. So I wanted to present, I wanted to kind of talk about some more current ones. We know we talked about Bernie Sanders, but what is the current worldview of Silicon Valley? Like, what is the current worldview? Because that is kind of, um, even the way that we look at, yeah, so, uh, solutions to the world, problems with the world, whether we should be like, what is Silicon Valley, Facebook, Apple, Google, these um, Uber, some of these other Silicon Valley companies who are really are the power brokers of the world today? I mean, uh, what is their worldview that that they're you know that are they're kind of what story are they kind of evangelizing? Yes. Sure. <laughs> Innovation, technology, connectedness, at least technically speaking. And um, you know, fortunes are made in that process. Those are the, the high values. Yeah, it, it's sort of I won't necessarily criticize it, but it's it's focused on the uh, the structure rather than the substance. Mm. So it, it connects people to each other with with all sorts of opportunities to share opinions, mm -hmm. data, and and so on. But it's still left up to the individuals themselves to. Determine what the content yeah. of what they're sharing uh, is is valuable or not, is personal or not, is yeah. beneficial or not. Yeah. Yeah. Of and course, they've gotten to a point where they've had to like come in and start determining what content is right and wrong, and because it used to have a, news now. They have a, like, yeah, I now. saw that. It was a huge change so with like, Facebook oh, and yeah. Well, yeah, if you, have, if you label something fake news, let us know and it's like take it off. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Which is kind of interesting because, number one, the technology itself can't make those value judgments. And second, to the extent now that they are adding some type of value judgment, yeah. it's a value judgment that's no longer based on the Bible as some recognized authority of what's right and wrong, but rather on human cultural consensus. Mm. Of what's right and wrong, and, and that consensus is shifting radically away from the Bible. So, what would you say is Silicon Valley's uh, answer to the problems of the world? Like, well, I guess what, what would they say is what's what's caused the world to be unbalanced? What, I mean, is it like people being disconnected? Is it um, misunderstanding? Like, so, even when you take like, because I think you see this kind of San Francisco. Um, kind of view of the rest of the world, or even the view of like the South, or the view of of what they would perceive as ignorant or unintelligent in comparison to you know the the coast, right? Um, do they see them as problems of ignorance and backwardness and this mentality? And is their job to kind of bring people into the cultured world, civilize? I think as long as I think Silicon Valley's view, as long as they can get all those people on social media, mm. they don't really care whether any of them are smarter from mm. an intellectual standpoint. They just want to connect them so they can all share whatever intellectual content or social content or otherwise yeah. they want to share. Yeah. So again, it, it's not based on the value. It talks about the quality of the information being shared, just the fact that I think they view the days when you shared things by mailing a letter um, were much, much slower yeah. and, and
are less conducive to whatever benefits there might be from being connected to other people. Mm. What if, you know, when did you go to when did you go to law school? Before the internet existed. Okay. So when when you were when Before you were when you were in college and when you were going you're pursuing law was um, was it at the, was it kind of the time of the um, the Wall Street you know gecko kind of his name what was his name what was the, the character from the Wall Street movie the Michael Douglas so but you know what I'm talking about like he kind of personified like you know Reagan 80s like yeah. like yeah, that was, they used to use a phrase that doesn't get used anymore uh, very often but it was they called it the Halcyon days ah. Halcyon was some sort of drug that I guess like a stimulant or something, and so the halcyon days refer to, with regard to whatever you're just using to describe it, you're referring to some really frenetic period of, of great activity and, and so on. And back then, you had the, in the business world, uh, those were the halcyon. Because the what was that? The yuppie became a term, right? That came out of that 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 era. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the it was the men who worked in Wall Street or or who who drove the BMWs mm-hmm. and. There's a certain person, and I, I feel like maybe even like Donald Trump and in, in the whole like, you know, where he comes from and the kind of the playboy, uh, affluent males or or very you know driven you know American males, like what is, what is the worldview that's working out there? Say that again. What is, what worldview is 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 being played out there? I I was a Madman fan. I watched Madman, um, Don Draper. I think it was a is it, it kind of is a, even though it's like fifties and sixties, it presents these ad executives during the in Manhattan during the sixties and what what their view of the world was. It was it was, um, was it conquer more. It, well, yeah, it was wealth and it was um, it was kind of when Playboy became a thing, right? And Playboy was something that was. That Howard Hughes, I mean, not Howard, um, that Hugh, Hugh Hefner presented as the, actually, it's not, it's the, it's the, um, it's the sophisticated males magazine, right? And, and you see this, like these, this is the worldview. It's you get as much money as you can get, uh, obtain as much power as you can get, um, have sex with as many women as you can. And that is like the definition of success. You know, that's the purpose of your your work. Yeah, and I, I guess that comes out in two directions. One is the sense of anything that brings you any kind of pleasure, right? Um, whether physical pleasure or sensory pleasure or um, wealth, so that's good. Uh, and, but the other direction it comes from is it's sort of measuring people against each other. It says. If yeah, if I have things that most people want but few have, I'm better than mm. the ones who don't have it. Mm. And I think that's that's always been a, a factor of how man thinks. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, if I, would, I have the BMW and you don't. I'm that makes me somehow better, better. than you. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that in the sports world today. So for example. Yeah. In the NBA, where egos seem to be oh. the largest of any yeah. sport, but in all sports, smaller teams, more money. Yeah, the, the guy, yeah. the guy who has who averages more points per game than another guy, thinks he's.
better than that person. And that what strikes me as odd Dude. about that is because I can put this ball through an 18-inch metal rim better than you, that, that's the measure of a man. Yeah. And very so, yeah, yeah. Not just to go there, but whether yeah. you might be who's, who's a good lawyer or who's, who's good at something else. I've always noticed in life, whatever one thing a person is better at than most people around him, he somehow thinks that thing is the measure of greatness in a man. Yeah. So the, the, little, the little guy who, who runs and enters some 5K races and, and places very well in most of them starts to somehow think he's superior yeah. to other people just because he can run a 5K faster than most of the other people who enter those races. Yeah. So that makes for him, that's the measure of greatness. In yeah. A man. Yeah. For another guy, it's the fact that he can, he's stronger than others, so he can physically intimidate them. He thinks makes him greater. Mm-hmm. The next guy, the fact that he's physically puny, but he's he's smart and can make a good living. In yeah. his he thinks that's the measure. Well, I, I know in my neighborhood, I guess the the level of a man is how pristine his grass is. Because <laughs> there's a competition going on that's that like. The amount of work has been put in, the amount of money is being spent, like the the how many times they cut the grass in a week. It's just like I feel so ins- I feel so puny and weak of a man compared to these like these guys, you know, who are who obviously are retired and have a lot more time on their hands. But it's just remarkable. Um, so who, what are they trying to prove? <laughs> uh, so just wanted to present a few examples, but then what is what is the gospel worldview that's being played out? So we presented two kind of alternative ones, but what what worldview is being played out by the gospel? Like when we think of the gospel, what worldview is in, how are we answering those three how questions? We, how should we be yeah. in communion with God? You know, the gospel says that, you know, in the beginning was communion with God. Yep. There was, you know, that relationship was strong. You, you, we were being fruitful. You were being an image of Christ and God, and so kind of basic answer of that. Yeah. So what's what had the world become unbalanced? And then the because of sin, sin it's entered the world through man, mm-hmm. and man has disobeyed God. He is, he's, you know, has distanced himself and broken that relationship. He is dead to God and spiritually, and so the solution. Was yeah. God sending His Son throughout throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament to the to the manifestation of that and the Gospels and then the coming of Christ to make a new heaven, a new earth, mm-hmm. and the second coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, that measure of greatness isn't how many are serving you, but how many you're serving. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's very true. Yeah. So how how with that worldview, how what implications on work does the gospel story have? I mean, what what are the what are the implications on work that you know um, the kind of I don't know the the kind of the yuppie '80s affluence? How, what implications does that have on work? I think it all it's, it's all about me. Yeah. Okay. If, if if even if you if you work in a workplace where you have coworkers, yeah, it's all about me getting ahead of all, of them yeah, and having power yeah. over them, and yeah. so on. And in the customer relationship, um, it's all about me 
gaining from this transaction, whatever I can gain regardless of yeah. what effect it has on the customer instead of how can I serve, serve. this yeah. customer? How can I make sure the service of the goods that I'm trying to provide to them yeah. will the really satisfy them yeah. uh, and, and make that my goal? So what was, and I'll ask you this question too. What So what, um, when you were at Johnson Meat, right? Me Johnson. Me Johnson, right? Um, what, what worldview was the primary role that was played out there? I mean, it probably wasn't all that. I think it, I think it was a great place to work. Be, and one of the reasons that always brought us back to that focus is we, we never forgot for a moment we were in the business of providing important nutrition for infants. Yeah. The most fragile, many of whom were receiving specialized formula because of particular medical problems, mm. uh, as well as the ones who were healthy babies, but... For example, if mom wasn't breastfeeding or had transitioned away from it so she could go back to work and she was feeding the baby informal, the baby wasn't at least four months old yet where they could start introducing some food. That formula was the sole source of nutrition of a fragile human being. Hmm. It, it better be right. Every nutrient needs to be in there in the right quantities and, and nothing that shouldn't be in there is, is adulterated. And we never uh, forgot for a moment on any day that we, we were making sure mm. little infants were yeah. properly taken care of. And so there was a real team spirit about working toward okay. that goal. You could at times lose sight of something. So sure. Somebody needs some contract or other, other thing approved and they're trying, and you're bat, they're competing with each other to get the attention of people in another department who need sure. to review and approve something for sure. them. And, and you can get into that kind of stuff. But there was a, a real sense that we were working together towards some goal that was bigger than the immediate needs or career of, of the individual in the conversation. Yeah. But I think in many companies and in many smaller businesses uh, and sole proprietorships, you could lose sight of that and become purely focused on yourself. And, and that's one reason why I always uh, counseled other people in the company. What I would say to them was, remember, the grass is always browner on the other side of the fence. <laughs> and by that was, even if you have a difficult day at work, from what I had heard of stories of people who had come to us from other places or left us for other places, it was a lot better working where we were yeah. than working other places. And when you get to those other places, you will find a lot of people who were really difficult to deal with, who were really competitive, who walk over you and so on. And it, it's, I guess my advice to any Christian would be, if you want to be, if you're in a place where you find that it is kind of a backbiting dog eat dog type of work environment, and one don't become like that. <laughs> if you're looking for a job elsewhere, don't look based primarily on how can I make some more money and or become vice president sooner, but find a place where you think you can actually be more Christ like mm. while you're at work because of the atmosphere that I was blessed with being in such a situation. Yeah. How would you describe the worldview that we're like how plays on it? Mm. One need. I mean, well, I, obviously, it's not like one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I, I mean when I first got there, it was you know, my my department's more driven for numbers and like looking good, and so it's not really effectively. I was talking about with another person in my department about how even like just different companies are trying to shift away from the production. Like, oh, we have the best numbers, we're the fastest times, but more being like. Hey, we're effectively trying to help someone. 
Oh, yeah. Instead of like you, you know, uh, Steve was saying about how we, how can we serve someone? Yeah. And so that's why I feel like my company and specifically my department is more of like we want the best numbers, we want to look the best, and so that we can, you know, therefore, you know, shine bright. Yeah. Um, now there is a shift of you know our you know our marketing of lending done humane, and so it's not about the numbers; it's trying to be more personable, and be more human, and then not as you know something so superficial, which is. Hopefully a good route they're taking, you know, maybe it's someone to buy them. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. maybe it is just to look good, but I hopefully it's more of a route to take more something done more humane and more serving the, the people instead of actually the business itself, you know, and books I've read and talking about businesses, you know, business isn't for the, the be bigger because if it's not if it's about that then it's lost its purpose it's about mm-hmm. the people it's about you know serving people mm-hmm. well in the most effective and excellent way yeah mm-hmm. uh, I, I have an exa- I have an, a, I guess a, a, an exercise that I want to do at the end to kind of how, how would we work this out uh, and uh, so when we get to that I'll, I'll, I'll present it but um in kind of in some, maybe in your fields of work, um, and I probably can answer this question as well. Um, how are they influenced by? We talked a little bit about alternative worldviews. You did as well, and but what are the what are the attendance of idols? What what idols are involved are involved in kind of the workplaces that we have experience working? Are we in right now? What what idols? Which in definition of an idol? Good thing it becomes an ultimate thing. So we're not saying that profit is an evil thing we're saying profit is a good thing i mean people can't get jobs if there's no profit people can't can't work if there's not profits so but how what are other things that are made ultimate in your places of work that um this becomes the single focus of of the business or the company or your kind of you know your department I, and I know for in ministry, you know, a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing, you know, um, you know, attendance numbers, budget, um, how many baptisms you had in a given year, how many people you had at your VBS, um, you know, all these things become that are good things. Like we want people to come to church, <laughs> we want people to, we want people to give. Like we want to be able to to have resources to do more ministry we want to baptize people i mean that's really good we want people to come to know christ i mean that's really good but we don't make it want to make it an ultimate thing like it's not the end all end all of a church there's other important factors in how you're serving your congregation how you're teaching them the word um, how you're caring for them. Um, those are all good things. And so it's taking one thing and saying, all right, this is the ultimate thing. It's all about X, you know? Um, or for like, even for, 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 for pastors, it's becoming, you know, known, it's becoming relevant to, you know, to the church at large. It's having more significance and more recognition. But there's so many different f- channels for recognition through social media or through podcasts or through any other ways 
So it's taking the which you mean again, like if you're Matt Chandler or David Platt, you want people to listen to your sermons online. Like Please. that's a good thing. I said, well, why would you put it on there? <laughs> well, I don't want anyone to listen to it, but I'm gonna put it on there anyways. But it's making that an ultimate thing and saying, like, well, you know, like you're saying, it's that competitiveness of saying, you know, so so what are some idols that you see kind of where you work or did work? Yeah, I think one thing was being known for our company. Just mm-hmm. like when we first became converted, you know, one of the big things like, oh yeah, now we're the we are now the key largest personal loan finance in the in the country. Yeah, so I think that's one thing that tried to, you know, slew that around and you know, and just to be known and to that um, effect of no profit. Um, but like you said, that there, you know, you know, our focus is just more ultimate. But I think. We also have to recognize, like, there, we gotta measure stuff. Like, you know, he is, you know, god of order, and you know, we need accountability for what we do. And so, I think it's good to have, like, like you said, am I being known trying to effectively help people, or is my being known more prideful in a sense of mm-hmm. sinful? Yeah, sure. You know, like you said, David Platt, you know, and Matt Chandler trying to get uh, his their podcast known. Is it more from their for their being knownness, or right. like? Hey, we want to share the gospel as much as with people right. and helping them right. in their walk with Christ. Right. And so I think that's something we have to also taking care of. Like, yes, these ultimate innocence they could be really, really bad, but also they are, like you said, like in moderate proportions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'd say is more of that being known for my company. Mm. I think we can always convince ourselves of some good reason for what we're doing. Yeah. That's the next problem. Yeah. The first thing you have to do is admit to yourself that as a human being, each one of us frequently lies to ourselves. Yeah. And if we if we don't call ourselves out on it, if we don't recognize I lie to myself and challenge ourselves and don't let ourselves believe these things, anytime we're we're causing ourselves to believe something just to justify our actions, um, we have you know, nobody else is going to do it for us. And, and that's why we have to mm. examine ourselves carefully. Mm. We have to pray every day that the Holy Spirit will convict us of those things. Because otherwise, we can always convince ourselves uh, of a good reason for everything that we do. Yeah. This is probably going in the same direction you are. I think one of the idols is, um, I'll call it, um, just impressing the higher-ups. Yeah. And what I mean by that is... And everyone has you, a boss. <laughs> whatever level, yeah, whatever level you at, the person who you report to, yeah. maybe people above them. Yeah. And every single day in what you do, you want them to like your work. And the long-term effect of that is you want one day to be higher above. up yeah. yourself. Yeah. And so people, a lot of people tend to measure everything by that. And my approach was always, I'm going to every day and everything I do try to do best job I can and that's what will work. It's kind of like the mm-hmm. difference between you can on every play and every football game as a college football player you could be trying you could be thinking about winning the Heisman Trophy but if instead on each play you just concentrate on doing your job on that play the best you can that's how you win the Heisman Trophy yeah. and, and what you need is a person mm-hmm. who is focusing on each thing you're doing not how can I impress whom yeah. about this yeah. but how can I do this best I can yeah. that will in the long run take over you may not toot your own horn as much yeah. um, you may be honest and admit your failure at something on occasions but in the long run substance I believe trumps form yeah. and, and it will pay off yeah. 
That's right. But it, it's that form of trying to impress people above you that um, that can become a god. And an yeah, idol. yeah. And, and there is a, I mean, we are kind of like taught as children to do that, aren't we? Like, you know, make sure, you know, you, you know, you let them know, you know, that, you know, you can do X, Y, or Z, you know, you make them know, like, you think about like dads and their kids in sports, like you, you may, you know, you tell that coach that, you know, you get in there and you show, and you show them and you tell them that you can do X, Y, and Z. And there's a lot of like selling yourself, right? And, and I mean, the world is, the world does work that way. You know, if you want to get a job, you have to sell yourself. Like, you know, you have to, there was actually, I know, y'all, y'all, y'all are sports guys, but uh, there was an article, I don't know how I read this, but Steve Spurrier, he was the coach for Florida in football for a long time, coached at Washington Redskins and then South Carolina. Duke. He Duke. I thought where to where he went to school before he went to Florida. Um, he what? he stated that um, he wasn't very good at um, interviews. He said he was interviewed for what job? He was interviewed for a job. Uh, I think it was the Florida job. He actually interviewed for the Florida job like before he went to Duke and didn't get the job. He and he they gave it to somebody else who wasn't. He said not qualified for the job. But he said he wasn't very good at selling himself. Like he wasn't very good at interviews. Like he kind of said the only way I just let my 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 win loss record and and the fact he said that let the facts be shown. And if you want to hire you, can hire me. And I thought about that. I was like, you know, kids are taught and we're taught you know sell yourself. You know, in a resume in in an interview, sell yourself, sell yourself, sell yourself. And it's like it, it does create this narrative of you've got to brand yourself in a way and sell yourself in a way that so many higher ups. Is convinced of you and persuaded by you that they give you what you want, you know. And, and it's hard to kind of say, actually, present the facts. Like this is where this is how I did well in school. This is some of the activities I was involved in. These are some of the things that I have interest in. Here's my strength. Here are my weaknesses. What else? <laughs> what else do you want from me? Um, I think that is we we live in this tension, you know, of branding ourselves and making ourselves known, um, and so. I wanted to read this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20. Um, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Um, and so I wanted to kind of end talking about um, the distinctionness of the gospel and how should the gospel play out in certain fields. So thinking about... Um, one main, how should the gospel affect that place of business? With, I, I know the number of Christians that work at this particular institution. How should the gospel play out there? My particular job, when I, you know, I'm the kind of person with a department that gets all the grub, all the kind of like, oh, we're, we're frustrated. We're going to call this place because we need help at it. So um, my job, there's a lot of gospel opportunities. Oh, is it really? A lot of frustrations we can, we're going to help resolve and just help them resolve things and speak truth. So you get people's complaints. Get a lot of complaints okay. to the companies. It's all internal. So, oh, it's all internal. And so it's just more of like, we're frustrated about this. Can you just resolve it? Because we're the kind of first to help desk, the immediate help desk. And so, I mean, I, I do have a lot of, you know, gospel opportunities of like, 
you know, of, of, of just showing the grace and showing um, care for them and listening to them. There's a lot of, you know, just, you know, I can, I can lash out and be like, you're wrong. Like, you know, you're doing this wrongly. That's why you need to mm. actually listen to the work, the jobs that we give you more of just feeling like listening to them and helping them in the best way. And one of my jobs right now in my department is to see how, these complaints come through and how to actually best help them. Mm. We can think of our own things, but we're not in the branch mm. through doing these loans. How can we best give training and the, teach them how to help, you know, use the software that we create for them instead mm. of like, oh, we know what we're doing. The branch just need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gospel opportunity, like listening and just help best effectively mm. doing that. Um, yeah. When have you had to challenge the, the culture there? Because it's, not because it's not like gospel that. centered. Uh, Something that you oh, have yeah. noticed that it doesn't align or agree with the gospel, and you've had to. Like, there's some things about your but yet you they, it does agree and align with the gospel, and you can promote it, you can agree with it, you can support it. But there are some things probably that you that aren't. So have you ever had to challenge it? Or? Yeah, uh, especially I mean, my my team meetings when we, you know, we're constantly, you know, thinking of ways to do do things and like we're just all thinking like the branches are stupid, and, like we're condemning them and, mm. and like I was like, you know, like, you know, on the level playing feels like we're all human, we all make mistakes. How many times have we actually called up another higher up from ours? Mm. They probably felt the same way. Mm. And so I was like putting all ourselves on the same playing field and saying, like, hey, we're there's no one really. Yes. I will more importantly, everyone is important in any job. Like we all need each other. Which is – that's different. Which is right? different. That everyone – every business thinks that way. If yeah. you're a male guy, you're not as important as the CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, And that everyone has an important yeah, role was. to play to actually make the job functional organism. Organism runs on each part. As the Bible says, the church is run, not run on just of the head or the ears or the mouth. It's run on all of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one thing that um, – that, I challenge that culture is there like everyone's needed everyone you need to listen to each other to best help yeah. work together yeah. so that's good yeah how can people bring their this because I think it's important because people when they think about what it means to be gospel centered in their workplace it doesn't necessarily mean or start and end with share the gospel <laughs> because I think that's what people would think right it's like well okay so to be gospel centered in the workplace I just need to share the gospel all the time. It's like, well, if you did that, you might get fired because you're not working. <laughs> yeah, you're not working. <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, you, instead of, you know, being productive, you don't get anything done because you're always, you know, talking to people about church and stuff like that. Um, and so I think this is a huge question. How do people be gospel centered in their workplace that goes, that doesn't just start in with witnessing, that it goes with a certain distinction that you do with your work um so like how how should we affect the form and content of the work as being christians well we can approach it from the standpoint that we're serving mm. our co-workers and our customers and um and looking at it that way yeah not so in caring about what somebody else needs and when they need it by so on, um, not being insensitive. To, there's a phrase I always love, and would have been appropriate so many times, but I never actually said it to anyone. And, and <laughs> I just read it someplace. And the phrase was, "Your failure to plan ahead does not constitute my emergency." 
And, and there's been so many times when that wouldn't be appropriate because somebody else is, is wants something from you and they want it in a hurry because yeah. they just didn't plan ahead. Yeah. And you could give that answer, but that's not a, that doesn't demonstrate a very caring attitude. Right. And so the fact that you could, you could maybe make the same point to help them for the next time, tell them you really need to do one thing, and this is build time into the process. Work. But then turn around and say, let's see what we can do to, to help you out here. Mm. And if, if people sense you care about helping them, that that's not only a good thing to do, that may set you apart from a lot of other mm. people. That's, say, yeah, that's there's right. something different about him. Mm. But, and another way that maybe it goes a little further is when decisions are being made, we can call people to values of right and wrong. So if, if a decision is being made how, what to do or what to say about a certain situation, with regard to higher-ups or with regard to customers and so on, you can call people to falling back on what would be truthful to mm. do or what would help the customer, or what, what would be the fair thing to do. And, and you, can, you can remind a person, this is probably what they taught you in Sunday school as a kid, and it's still true. Mm. Those are great ways to point people back mm. to, to biblical values and Which is what they probably were taught as a kid, yeah. Right. Exactly. Your mother taught you. Yeah. Your grandmother taught you. Yeah. Sunday school. Yeah. That's another way of pointing back towards yeah. the Bible. Yeah. And it, it's a good way of setting yourself at, apart as someone in the workplace who looks to those same values yourself. And, and it's a great springboard toward further discussions where you have the opportunity. You, you can even focus the time on the back end. You can tell them our our human nature causes us to want to stretch the truth in this situation to mm. make us look better. Yeah. But, but let's do what they taught us in Sunday school when we were kids. Yeah. That that, that we should all be telling the yeah. truth. And and speaking to people that way, I think lays some great ground. It not only does what the gospel calls us to, but it lays great great groundwork mm -hmm. for further discussions mm. about the gospel itself. Yeah, I just you know. Uh, so what if you, if you had somebody and and they're in your church and they're they're interviewing for jobs and they get a job what instead of instead of saying oh awesome that you got this job how much are you gonna get paid like that's usually what we ask like you know how much are you get paid like I mean how many vacations are you gonna get do you get a car yeah you yeah, get a, you get, get a company a car. car are they yeah, giving you like stock car. options and stuff. Um, <laughs> What I think what would be a, what would be a better question to ask is what do you think what opportunities do you think will this job will provide for gospel um, gospel centeredness or not just gospel witnessing but how can you be a Christian distinctly in that particular place you're about to work I don't think we ever asked that question because even that's like far more important than than I mean getting paid is important um, if you do get benefits that's important. But it's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is how you glorify God. I mean, it says here that you were bought, right? The price, so glorify God in your body. Glorify God where you are. So how do you go about glorifying God? That's the, probably the bigger question that we should ask people. Um, how can you serve individuals in that place of work? How can you serve society in that place of work? Um, how can you serve the field of, field of work? Like, if you think about, like, IT or even law, how can you serve the greater, you know, field of that of that work and then how do you model competency and excellency there and how do you witness to Christ
Th th these are all. I didn't come up with these. These are all colors. Mm. They're also really not just how can you take what your faith, which we associate with with church, how can you take your faith to your workplace? But it's also a, a sense of well, of course, you want to be able to invite people from work sure. to your church. But but I think in terms of is this new job you're being offered going to interfere? Is going to take up yeah. your time or your schedule or your travel? That it will limit your ability to be active yeah. at your church. Yeah. Because that's usually not a factor that people don't oh, no. consider no, much. No, no, no. Not at all. <laughs> one of the problems, I think, with every church is that churches, in every, in every church, the people who are the most successful in their careers use up so much of their available waking time in their career yeah. that they're not able to serve in capacities of teaching or even serving on committees yeah, yeah. at their church. And they're the more, va and they're yeah. the more equipped maybe, to do maybe, such. Yeah, people with the most <laughs> life experiences, experiences communicating with groups of people, yeah. experiences <laughs> dealing with logistics of running any kind of organization are the ones who could contribute so much yeah. on committees and classes yeah. and so on at church and can't give the time to yeah. do it. And if you, if we all sat back and thought about it, we'd say, that's a poor choice. Yeah. But it's a choice you have to make in advance. Otherwise, it just gets made for, for you. By yeah. Its exactly. Fall, right. yep. Yeah. You wind up spending all that time mm -hmm. at work and not have it left. Yeah. yeah. That's good. And, and so it sort of goes back to those idols having. Yeah. Idol of, of work is the first thing, and what's left over. So I wanted we have like uh, we have a few more minutes. I wanted to ask um, after we've just kind of gone through all this. Um, I was reading this morning. And I knew about it, but I was reading more about Starbucks because you know they're having their day this coming week where they're closing like six thousand stores to do. Um, was it like um, like afternoonish? What are they calling it though? Um, anti bias training it's or, a bias training I think so. yeah um, do you know what I'm, the story about Starbucks and the two guys in Philadelphia um, so taking the, I, I found out reading this that the manager it basically it says that they left but I'm pretty sure they got fired oh, yeah. um, but like so in that scenario um, what do you think was as if, you, if, if you're bringing this gospel centered perspective into the workplace what do you think would be the proper what do you think would have been the, the better way to handle all that from a gospel standpoint you mean if you were actually there on that day if you were the manager oh, okay. if you were the manager because she was the uh, she he i'm not sure what the ginger was was it she yeah called the cops and i guess that's that's where um, Starbucks basically came out and said she never should have called the cops. Um, but there are other ways that she could have handled that. Yeah, yeah I guess. I know there's probably some some nuances to this. There's but, two sides to the story, but yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, but from a standpoint of just just with some facts of you've got two, um, you know, and there so there is some there is some studies though that say that. Um, um, so that there's some studies that say, and I don't know how much you know about this. But, like, people tend to be more efficient and quicker to respond to people that they, are, that they know are white than those that they know are different races. In the sense that if you're, a white, if you're on the other end of a phone, like on a customer service call, if you know that they're white, you find out that they're white, 
you're, you tend to be more quick to answer their questions and help them than you are if they're different ways. This is what comes out. This is so that you have that because Harvard did the study on this, and now you have Starbucks with this kind of like this issue, which the, there is a lot of nuance to this. But like from just from a Christian standpoint, though, the distinctions of Christianity in the workplace, how what what, what how would a, how would a Christian have handled that that situation? You think? I don't know what all happened, how long the guys were in the place, yeah. and what was it about their responses. You know, I'm sure they went over to him every once in a while and asked, "Would you like to order any coffee?" Um, and did they, what kind of answer did they get that led them to believe that that these guys? Even if you, if you had some concern, what you'd want to do, if you called the police, you'd want to just say, I don't have any reason to, other than the fact these guys have been sitting here a long time, have yeah. they maybe given evasive answers. I don't have particular reason to believe they, I know they haven't done anything bad, right. but could you guys just walk on as on your beat could you just walk past our store every so often and just take a look maybe, yeah maybe Which come on start on in and say hello yeah we'll give you a cup of coffee if you want and so on um but the problem is once you start a process yeah you can't control everybody in the process so right you show up and then they take it beyond what yeah. you never intended them to now you're stuck and you wish you had never called them in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing is like, like retaliation. Um, we're just reading that our Bible, our small group right now, how Jesus says to the Pharisees who wanted to take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth for themselves, not let the authority and the judge do that. I think it was, you know, it's wise to do that. I think it's wise to take an authority. It's like, you've done all you could do. And now it's, okay, we need to, you know, escalate this depending on how you feel the mm-hmm. situation is going. And the, and the thing is, it's not for yourself. It's for others. Mm-hmm. You have a, you're a manager of a store. You have to keep the store safe. Sure. And, uh, you know, for the customers that they can know they can come in, that you're going to protect them. And, uh, yeah, and you're in a Christ-like manner, you're going to say, like, you know, I'm going to risk my reputation, you know, if it, if it is for the sake of everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's always good to think about, you know, obviously, you know, trying to, and also listening to people. Like, mm-hmm. trying to, like, what why are they here of what they're doing and mm. you know it's, you, you have to like you said you have to judge and like it's maybe it's like a situation like you don't know and then you call the cops like you said all right that's what i'm gonna do i'm yeah. gonna stick with it you know and yeah and live with yeah. you because yeah. i mean i worked at starbucks if, if you had homeless people walk in what's with these guys were right they were homeless no i don't think so i don't think they were there just they for were business supposedly there to meet with a guy oh about okay a real estate deal okay and they were it looked to me like they were wearing sweatsuits, and so okay. you know, they didn't come across like businessmen. That was probably what added to the whole concern. Gotcha. You know, they were there for a pretty valid purpose. Uh, maybe the problem would have been maybe the, the white guy who was coming to meet with them, uh, if he had been more timely in showing up for his meeting, the problem wouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah. Maybe that's why they were sitting there so long not yeah. buying it. They, they asked him to use the restroom because this other guy failed to show up early. Yeah. 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 I, maybe, that, maybe he didn't care. Maybe he didn't care. The black man, he that's just that's to do true. Yeah, to be on time. Yeah, ah, uh, they're they're black. They're not white. So I I I got time. I can be late. Yeah, so yeah, we, yeah. We all have to be thinking yeah. about yeah. Other people matter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just because they don't look like you and 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 you know, you know, roll like you, like that means I mean you don't serve them and care for them and love them as Christ would love them and. I think that that mindset could really impact cultures like Starbucks and other yeah. cultures that well, maybe have an issue. I don't with know this if kind Starbucks of stuff. manager tried this, but I know that a lot of stores 
when I walk in, they must have instructed their people to do this. The, the employee, say the cashier, whoever, closest to the door, when you walk in, they call out, hello, is there anything I can help you with? Yeah. They sort of, they establish a personal yeah. relationship. Yeah. That's what, and that's, what and that's your issue with those Starbucks on the west side, yeah. is they're not establishing right. relationships. And so you assume, or you become skeptical, and you create these kind of negative feelings and attitudes towards some yeah. people, because you haven't so, so made that personal connection. I don't know if the manager Human matters. Not, that would have been a nice approach yeah. to go over just say hello to the guys, yeah. and, and see if there's anything to do. Yeah. Uh, because they give water for free. Give them a compliment for yeah. water, uh, yeah. something to that effect, may have been a good thing to diffuse a situation. We always suspect other people the more the less we know about them. Yeah. And when you establish a personal connection with somebody, now they're, they're real, they're really real people. Mm -hmm. They're real people. People I matter. That's what would be a great action. You'd start, you'd get into a disagreement with another party over something from a distance. And you would all, and the, both parties would be convinced. The other parties were were lying slobs, yeah, yeah. You know, who, who just were terrible people, et cetera, et cetera. And when you actually finally got together and met in a room to discuss it, uh, you wound up kind of liking each other. <laughs> suddenly, the monster becomes a, a real person. Yeah, and that's what those businesses are doing. They're saying they're making sure everybody comes through the door. Now we're people dealing with, with each other as if we were next door neighbors instead of strangers conjuring up suspicions yeah. in our minds. Yeah. And so bring it back to the workplace. I think that's what we ought to do in the workplace is try to turn everybody into somebody we know mm -hmm. uh, as soon as we meet them instead of letting ourselves entertain uh, negative thoughts about them first. There's, there's a, there's a, and maybe we can know this, but there's a great history of this. Um, you know, People who would assume would be on the opposite, who would be enemies, end up being friends. Um, Jerry Falwell and um, the um, founder of Penthouse, Penthouse? What's his name? Um, I can't remember his name. I think there's a movie made about him. Larry, somebody. Larry Flint, right? They became friends and actually really like cared for each other. Like, and they would do, the thought was that Falwell and Flint would never be friends. They would hate each other's guts because they're on different sides of this, of the pornography issue, right? Um, but they actually had a personal relationship. They, they met and had a lot in common and became really good friends. And like, it's just so like you, 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 personal connections and saying, you know, Larry Flint, you know, I totally disagree with pornography. I totally disagree with the ability to, 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 to sell it for people. It's harmful for people. But the human still matters. Yeah. You know, even though I disagree with what he's, and I know that he's not a follower of Christ, I, he still matters. And for, therefore, if I get to know him, maybe I can influence him. Maybe I can just be a friend, mm -hmm. and God can do something. Like, that's huge. I think that's a cool story. Yeah. I think it's a real um, So uh, thanks for coming. I, I really appreciate the conversation, and hopefully people who listen to it can benefit from it. But um, are there any prayer requests, anything we've?